three main sections as a reminder in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Jesus prays for himself. We see that in verse 1 through 6. And then Jesus prays for the disciples, specifically those around him, those who are with him. Verse 7, or 6 through 19. And then in verse 20 through 26, Jesus prays for all believers. So we keep in mind here as we go through this that this is a prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a a mountaintop to continue to attempt to climb for the rest of our lives, really. Let me read these first few verses. And our scripture for us this morning is going to be verse 6, 7, and 8. But in verse 1, Jesus spoke these things. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And we're reminded, as by way of application, that Jesus knew where to look. He looked to his Father. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, which Jesus has, authority over all things, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And we're reminded of the covenant of of redemption, those in whom the Father gave to the Son and those whom the Son indeed redeems. This is eternal life, verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we're reminded about eternal life and the, the, uh, the words that we use at times, being born again or being saved, being converted, all true, yes and amen. But it's also knowing, knowing God. And only the Christian knows God. And I encouraged all to read J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And some of you have taken me up on that encouragement. In verse 4, Jesus says, I glorify you, glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And Jesus is saying these things as the Garden of Gethsemane is, as it were, in view. And then he would go to the cross. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they receive them, and truly understand that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I'll ask for the Lord's help one more time. Father, I pray, O God, that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit, that you would give me unction from on high, that you would give me clarity and accuracy from your word, O Lord, and that you would have your saints in this place this morning praying for me and praying for themselves and praying for the lost as your word goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. The description that Jesus gives in John 17 of his people as is that they are those whom the God, the God the Father had given him in eternity past, the elect. Jesus speaks of believers as people who you gave me or people who have been given to me five times at least in this prayer. This raises a good question 
Who are they? Who are the elect? Who are those who belong to God by his sovereign choosing? As Romans 8.30 says, those whom he predestined, or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, uh, the ones that he chose in him before the foundation of the world that would be holy and blameless before him. Who are they? Well, commentary uh, by Richard Phillips, he says this, in one sense, this is a question that we cannot answer and should not ask. We are not granted a peek at the book of life spoken of in Revelation, the volume that records the identity of each of God's people. Likewise, the Bible never tells us to squander our anxious moments by wondering whether or not we are elect. The closest statement, he says, is this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, when Peter urges believers, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. Yet, Peter does not say to make ourselves elect, but to give evidence of our election by what? By a living faith. So if we were to ask the question, am I elect? Or is he or she elect? This is a question that the Bible never endorses. But given that qualification, Jesus does answer the question. And we'll see, on the other hand, what we should look at as well. Who are the elect? Who are those given by Christ? Well, he gives four marks of his people in verse 6 through 8. And these are not our points this morning, necessarily, but these are four marks. The people of Christ are those to whom Jesus manifested the Father's name. First, those to whom Jesus manifests the Father's name. Secondly, the elect are those whom Christ took out of the world. Thirdly, those who have kept God's word. And fourth, those who have received Jesus as the one sent from God. Now this word received here, under that umbrella of the word received, is received, understand, and believed. Received, understand, and believed. Which results in a changed life and bearing fruit, obedience to the word of God. Steve Lawson says, if you would like to know who the elect are, this is the other hand here, if you would like to know who the elect are, they are made evident by their obedience to the word of God from the heart. J.C. Ryle, obedience is the only reality. It is a faith visible, a faith acting, and a faith manifest. It is the test of real discipleship among the Lord's people. Matthew Henry, one more. None can know their election but by their conformity to Christ. For all who are chosen are also chosen to sanctification. So our first point this morning, manifesting the name of God. Manifesting the name of God. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. Not to all men. Not to all everywhere. But to those who God gave to him out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Manifesting the name of God. Psalm 22, 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Similar to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. The name of God means something 
Someone's name meant a great deal in ancient Near East culture. Anytime you see A-N-E when you're reading something, it's ancient Near East. In many ways, it stood for the whole person. In some ways, it meant a a whole lot more than it does for us. For us, it's mainly a label, just a way to call someone. I mean, how many Johns do we have here this morning, or Mikes, or Kim? If I were to say the name Kim, like 17 ladies would turn their head. That's an exaggeration. Or Mike. So I have to call Mikes by their last names at times, in my, just when I'm trying to relate who it is. Common names. But it means something, but we don't consider that necessarily usually. If we were to ask today, what is in a name? We would answer with Shakespeare, that which we call a rose by any other, any other name would smell as sweet. Again, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. His point is it doesn't mean that much. It is just not always as important. But in the culture, in the scriptures, the Old Testament, New Testament, it meant very much. And so we consider that when we consider our point of manifesting the name of God. According to Webster, to manifest means plain, open, clearly visible to the eye, or obvious to the understanding, apparent, not obscure or difficult to be seen or understood. We see in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it explains God has made his eternal power and divine nature known to all mankind by what is clearly seen and understood in all of his creations. According to Steve Lawson, once again, he says, God the Father is manifested in many ways through creation, through providence and history, but and through Scripture, but the greatest revelation of God to us is in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. The psalmist spoke of loving the name of God. The psalmist prayed, May the name of God of Jacob protect you. He was speaking of all that God is and all that God means. This name is only manifested or revealed to those who who God gave to Jesus out of the world, to Christians this morning. We know God, we know his name because he has revealed it to us by Jesus Christ. For us, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Proverbs 18, verse 10. And we learn much about our God through the scriptures, through the name given in the scriptures of God, such as Elohim, which designates God as creator in Genesis. Or El Shaddai, God Almighty, in Genesis chapter 17. Or El Elyon, Most High God. Or Yahweh, God's covenant name. So we see God expresses himself by his name in different Hebrew words. So if someone comes to you, this is a side note, and says, no, you must refer to God only as this one name, and that is it. Why aren't you saying this? By the way, that's a cult, and just move on. 
Because God is expressed in many ways, many names for God. They all mean something. God said to Moses, I am has sent me to you. And Jesus says before Abraham was born, I am. So in this scripture in in 17, John 17, some scholars argue that Jesus revealed a new name to them, to their disciples then. If this was so, the name would be Father. But it's a reminder of the importance, the urgent importance of knowing God. And the emphasis in this verse is that the knowledge of God's name is only revealed to his people. I have manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Again, we see this vernacular of dealing with a love gift from God the Father to Jesus Christ the Son. When we consider it that way, when we consider this covenant of redemption, we, as Christians, are really along for the ride in some respects. Because it has to do with the glory of God. Precious in His sight. What Jesus is saying here is that they have been loyal. They have kept the word of God, with the exception of Judas, of course. This is uh, something in John chapter 6, verse 66 and following. As a result of this, as a result of what Jesus was saying, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. In our vernacular today, brother and sister in Christ, is that those who were once under the sound teaching of the word of God, those who once were in church with you, but left, want nothing to do with the church, years and years and years go by. They withdrew and were not walking with Christ. Lost. So Jesus says to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter's answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he meant, of course, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Applications abound for us. We likewise are to be loyal to God and loyal to one another. Brothers in Christ, loyal to one another as Christians. There's nothing like having someone who is loyal to you. But we know that we are sinners and the only one who ultimately is loyal to us is the faithful God in whom we serve. We find elsewhere when Jesus says about keeping his word in John 8, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death.
here in 17, we find the place where it says that ordinary people have kept his word. Think of the disciples, these ordinary men. Think of us, ordinary people. Shouldn't we be described as those who do likewise what Jesus is saying here? Jesus warns of a person who hears his word and does not keep it. Not his disciple. And Jesus also says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, he says. Jesus manifests his name to a people who God gave him out of the world. Manifesting the Father's name. Christians, we have been called out. We have been separated from the world, yet called to live a different way in this world while still physically living here in this world. As John reminds us in 1 John, I'll just read this for you, familiar text. 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world, it's passing away, and also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Our allegiance is no longer to this world. And we ought to live that way. Sinclair Ferguson They belong to a new family in which sin is not the order of the day. Instead, righteousness, peace, and joy mark the the family life of God's people. We are the kind of people who have begun to taste that deliverance from the reign of sin, which will be consummated at the regeneration of all things. We are separated unto God continuing and to are our, to keep his word secondly knowing what has been given from god knowing what has been given from god specifically his words knowing what has been given from god first manifesting the name of god second knowing what has been given from god now they have come to know verse 7 that everything you have given me is from you. They have come to know that these things, they have come to know these things in a real way, not as fully as they ought to know, though. Everything we have is from God. Think of that. Think of what we do and day in, day out, what we're able to earn day in, day out or we're able to save up day in or month in or year in, whatever it is. It's all a gift from God. Everything we have. Being able to understand the word, as uh, Mr. McGuire earlier was talking about this book from Banner of Truth about the mind. We're able to understand his word. Only the Christian can. By the Holy Spirit, the words, and verse 8, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them, 
They received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Received, understood, believed that you sent me. The words, plural, just as we found in chapter 6. And in this passage here, in, in other parts of chapter 17. The words, God the Father gave to the Son, the Son gave to them. The words you gave me, as the Lord says, this is a God-given message, obviously. Leon Moore says, it's important for us to notice the emphasis placed on the divine revelation in this passage. God the Father gave Christ his words. He gave the words to the disciples. And we, we have the words penned by these men, inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scriptures inspired by God, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in in righteousness. Not unrighteousness, in righteousness. Excuse me. We have the complete canon of scripture. One of the five solos of the Reformation, sola scriptura. Uh, just reading briefly of what I have here from, uh, from Dr. John MacArthur, he says, the Reformation principle of sola scriptura has to do with the sufficiency of Scripture as our supreme authority in all spiritual matters. Sola scriptura simply means that all truth necessary for our salvation and, scripture, and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in Scripture. And isn't it amazing that this kind of goes in line with what Mr. McGuire was saying here earlier? How God does that for us. Hitting us over the head saying, listen up, people. Listen up. I'm trying to tell you something. They received, understood, believed. R-U-B, rub. Received, understood, believed. Received, understood, believed. All of these three, only by the grace of God. All go together, all link together, all by the grace of God and Him alone. They receive these words. How is that possible? Well, this is in contrast with other people who were in the presence of Jesus, who heard these, these words. Think about that. The the Pharisees and the chief priests and the mockers did not receive his words. Instead, they rejected his words because they rejected Jesus Christ. Those, my friends, are the only two options, as you're reminded against, laid before, again, laid before all. Receive Jesus Christ and his words or reject Jesus Christ and his words. So you're either a receiver of Christ or a rejecter of Christ. Which one is it? We went out preaching yesterday. We went out evangelizing yesterday. I did some preaching yesterday. It was hundreds, a couple thousand people there perhaps. Rejecters of Jesus Christ and a few there who genuinely, amen, generally come up to encourage from various churches. One guy even said to me, he said, keep up your awesomeness. I'm like, all right, I hadn't heard that one before, but he was trying to encourage me, and he he was a Christian from another church, and so I said, all right. That was before I said anything. I was just passing out tracts, so 
So that was good. That was encouraging. But most people were rejecting Christ. Receiving gospel tracts. Hundreds of tracts went out. But we don't know what when people were looking, when they heard the word of God, or people grabbed that track, went home, and said, this is exactly what I needed to read, and fell on their face in repentance. We don't know. We're just called to be faithful. But everyone there is either a receiver of Christ or rejecter of Christ, just like everyone here, receiver of Christ or rejecter of Christ, which one is it? You will be known by how you live and what you say. They go together, do they not? The terms gave or given are used several times in this passage. Faith is not something we muster up, we know. It is given to us by God. By grace we are saved through faith. Not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. The Greek word for received is not the same as obey or or kept. James Boyce says the, the fact, now listen, listen to this. The fact that Jesus puts in the step of merely receiving his word indicates it is possible to have the word given, but have it pass over the head of the one listening. Or as we would say, in one ear and out the other. An old saying, still a good one. And that's not good enough in one ear and out the other. Receiving the word means it sinks in. It gains root. It changes the heart and it changes the mind. So when he says this here about receiving the word, understanding the word, Believing the word, it's a way of saying that God must actually communicate with us through one's witness, through one's words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek through our witness of opening our mouth, through our sharing the gospel, uh, through the preaching of the word of God, we are not to be so prideful to think that the way we would live is going to make others fall on their face in repentance toward God and say, oh, I just saw that and I, 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 I repent of all of my sins now. No, again, it's the way we live does not contradict the, the, the gospel we proclaim. They must go hand in hand. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is indeed the power of God. They truly understood, Jesus says, secondly, they truly understood that I came forth from you. So they received, they truly understood that I came forth from you, that Jesus came forth from the Father. They have come to know for certain that Jesus was from heaven, that he was divine, and he came forth from God. This is, we say, yes, I believe that there's millions of people in cults who call themselves Christians who deny this. And we need to be equipped to be able to engage in conversation with them. 
to be able to say, no, this is what the Bible says. You're in danger of hell. Truly understood that Jesus came forth from the Father. This is the essential part of the revelation here that's given. These disciples had not arrived in their understanding, nor have we arrived in our understanding. They were weak in their faith, as their upcoming actions would show when they would all flee when Jesus and he'd be left all alone. But they did receive and they did understand and they did believe. As Christians this morning, we have also received his word, understood who Christ is and why he came and we believe in him and we believe him. They believe that you sent me all connected together, received, understood, believed. Peter said uh, something in Matthew 16 that furthers this point. I'm going to read this for you as well. Matthew 16. Familiar text once again for us. Peter's confession of Christ. Matthew 16, the pages are turning. Might as well wait for everyone to get there. Go ahead and turn there. That's, that's good. <clears throat> Peter's confession of Christ, verse 13, verse 21, Jesus foretells his death. And in verse 24, the, the costliness of discipleship. And then in 17, the transfiguration and then so on. Just briefly looking at the looking at this text, Matthew 17 and verse sorry, 16, verse 13. I meant 16, but I said 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's a good question. Side note, sidebar, to ask people in conversation and evangelism. Who is Jesus? Tell me what you think who he is. Get them talking, sharing their opinion, which most people love to do. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Those people are saying that's who he is. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Your free will did not reveal this to you. Your decision that you make for Christ did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, sovereign grace revealed this to you. I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. To get into that section with a Roman Catholic, you'll see what they say. Jesus asks a very important question, and Peter gives the correct answer. Then Jesus reminds Peter where that receiving and where that understanding and where that believing came from. By believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, confirms that they believe that God the Father sent the Son. 
And this is something that is repeated in John 17, several texts, and we'll see that as we go forward, Lord willing. Knowledge of or knowledge about Jesus Christ is not enough. Faith in him is not blind trust. The world oftentimes says, seeing is believing, right? I remember I used to say that before I was a Christian. I'm not going to believe something I don't see. What are you, kidding me? Come on, show me it. Then I was brought to my knees, Louisville slugger style, by God's grace and mercy. Instead of seeing is believing, Jesus says believing is seeing. Sent by the Father, sent to die for sinners, and we're reminded in Colossians what he rescued us from, the domain of darkness. Didn't he rescue us from that? And if we go out in this world, we see the domain of darkness engaging right before our eyes. And we can look back and we don't say, oh, I'm so much better than that. No, we look and we say, oh, I pity those poor people. They need Christ. And this is who I used to be. But only by his grace, he has rescued me out of that and placed me and made me light. He transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're no longer in the kingdom of this world. We no longer serve the prince of this world, the power of the air. We serve Jesus Christ. We are in his kingdom, his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, Thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Before all things, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the head of this church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And that's the only way that anyone can have peace in this world, is through the blood of the cross. Peace through the Prince of Peace, who went to the cross to die for sinners like you and me, who bore the wrath of God the Father, bore the sin bore the wrath that we deserved for sinners like us, for all of those who would place their faith and trust in him will be saved. Peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, sent by the Father, sent to die for sinners sent for us. Some applications for us this morning. Several of them. First, to keep the word of Christ, you must know the word of Christ. To keep the word of Christ, you must know the word of Christ. Very simple statement, but true. Consider part of Psalm 1. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if you do not really keep the word of God, or you do not really keep the word of God, unless you obey it, 
It is a word that cannot be kept only in your intellect. It has to be put in your heart and in your will also. The man who keeps the word of God is the man whose whole personality keeps it. The man who is meditating and rejoicing in it, whose heart warms to it, and so therefore wants to obey it. Psalm 1, just part of Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Therefore, what will happen? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Keeping the word, we must know the word. We must study the word. We must meditate upon the word, memorize the word, treasure the word, live by it, and proclaim it. Secondly, sitting under the word. Sitting under the word. 45 minutes once a week is nothing, is not enough. It's not enough. You will be spiritually anorexic at best. Sunday school going through biblical theology and redemptive history, going through the Old Testament. Wednesday nights, those of you who have been there, have been to almost, most, some of you have been to every one of them. Months have we have gone through the order of salvation, redemption accomplished and applied, experience of salvation, the fear of God. It seems like it's been six months or more. And how much, hopefully, we have learned And if you weren't here or did not tune in Wednesday night, you would not know that we're coming up on another series on the kingdom of the cults so that we may know what they believe. We may know how to respond. That'll either be Wednesday nights or Sunday evenings. Sunday evenings, we've gone through Jonah, the whole book. I think that was Sunday evenings. Yes, I think it was. And then 1 Peter. We're in chapter 5 now. We're almost done. Look how much, those of you who have missed out, you really are missing out on how much we get to learn. Sitting under the Word. And throughout the week, you have the best preachers in the world you can listen to. Sermon audio or whatnot. Thirdly, reforming your life to the Word. So, keeping the word of Christ. Secondly, sitting under the word of Christ. Thirdly, reforming our life to the word of Christ. Semper reformanda, right? Always reforming. We like to say it. Do we do it? Reforming our life to the word, not to tradition. Reforming this local church according to the word of God. Ongoing, present tense, continual God, we want to be doing things according to your word, not according to tradition, not according to preferences, but according to your word, O Lord, for your glory. That must be our mindset. That must be our heart. And fourthly, lastly, keep the word and proclaim the word. You live in the greatest mission field in the United States of America. New England. I heard a laugh, but it's true. And this is where it all started in this country. 
men like Edwards and the Great Awakening. This is the greatest mission field in the United States of America. New Hampshire, Vermont, the greatest in the USA, or were, you can check my statistics. If I'm wrong, I will, I will be corrected on this. The greatest in the USA of the most unchurched folks. New Hampshire, Vermont, I think they go back and forth battling that out. Most unchurched people. Again, you can look at the statistics on that. Why is that? Because people are lost. And the gospel is scarce in this area of the country. Most churches you see in this area are only buildings that are synagogues of Satan. Beautiful buildings. Gone woke, whatever it may be. The point, hundreds and thousands of lost people around us, what are we going to do about it? Charles Spurgeon says, if you profess to be a Christian, yet find full satisfaction in worldly pleasures and pursuits, your profession is false. Let us pray. Father, We come before you once again. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have manifested the name of God to us. Thank you that you have given us by the Holy Spirit the ability to understand what we can understand from your word. Thank you that you have called us out of darkness. You have given us the ability to receive your word, understand your word, and believe your word. And we believe in Jesus Christ, only by your grace. We pray that if that is not the case for some in here, once again this morning, Lord, that you would give them restlessness in their seat right now, God. That they would fall on their face in repentance. That they would turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. They would find the only hope that they can have in the Savior. And only the peace that they can have in Jesus, for his glory, in Jesus' name, amen.